because I haven't studied, I have, and I'm prepared, but I want you involved. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody close to you, and, and preferably not somebody that's part of your family that already knows you, and maybe not somebody you came with, but I just want you to turn to the folks around you, and I want you to tell them, what is your favorite meal? Ready? Go. Right, okay, let me just, I just want to hear some. What's your favorite meal? Steak and baked potato. Lasagna. Crab cakes. Sushi. Sushi. Like everything raw? Cool. Steak. Pam. Blueberry pancakes. My favorite meal is the next one. All right, now turn to the person and tell them what is your favorite style of music? All right. Favorite style of music? Christian rock. Same thing. All music. Uh, see, we got a bunch of people copping out. I like all music. Okay. Something that moves you. Tom Matta, I can't guess what yours would be. Little jazz, little black gospel. Yeah. Favorite music? 80s. Serious. Wow. How many like 70s? Woo. Three dog night, baby. Right. What is your favorite? Now turn to the person and tell them what is your favorite worship song? Your favorite worship song. All right, Jenny Wheeler. What is it? You'll come by Brooke Frazier. Changes all the time. Right now. Misty Edwards, Servant of All. I love these people. They actually know who sings it, who wrote it. Christian Stanfield, Lord of All. Christian Stanfield, Lord of All. Rick? Whatever Jenny Wheeler does, you like that. What is it? The song Jesus? There's something about that name? Yeah, yeah. Nancy, my sister-in-law. Whatever I think is great. You probably don't. Barb? Oh, she likes Jesus, Jesus. That's safe. Okay, one more thing. Tell that person... What is the favorite thing you like to do when you have fun? What's that tank filler that you do? What's that thing you like to do that, that really gives you fun? Ready, go.
Okay, now, I want you to know that I'm scared to ask this because there's a whole group of guys over here who all huddled together to get the same answer, I think. What do you like to do to have fun? Ping pong. Ping pong. <laughs> you liars. <laughs> what do you like? You like to sing? Okay. Newber. What? <laughs> That was before. <laughs> Take walks with your wife. Hey, when you're married, you do what you can do. All right. Scott, be with friends and family. Anybody extreme risk people like to do extreme stuff? You go camping? What, what did I hear? Scuba dive. Anybody skydive? Who? Oh, not yet, but you will. Yeah. Wait till your parents find out. Now, did you notice with all these answers, I want you to understand this morning, please grasp this as we come to the conclusion of, the, of this series, that a community of tribes, as we are, is not based on uniformity. That's what makes it so great. Community is based on unity. For tribes, as we've been discussing, are those who have shared values and a mutual care and protection of each other. Now, the danger is this, that because we are tribes and because we hang out together, the more time we spend together, the greater the opportunity for us to offend each other. Because we are not uniform. Because we have different backgrounds. We have different education. We have different traditions. We have different biases. We have different maturity. Now, the way that we get around that so often, there are those who will come to this kind of gathering on a Sunday morning and call it community. I don't call it community. I call it uniformity because you're here because you like something about it. You like something about the music. You like something about the preaching. You like something about the kids' ministries. But it's uniformity for some who come. But understand that you cannot have community without unity. And you can't have unity unless you have diversity. That's why they call it unity. And the danger with diversity is that it can bring you disharmony. And we need to be aware of that. And so when Paul the Apostle is talking about community, he makes it very clear that it is essential. Because listen to this. Jesus started with community. Jesus will end with community. And through all the middle, it is community. And if you want to live where Jesus is at play, then you have to be in community because that's where he is. And so Paul says, if that's the case, then I want you to understand that there must be things you must expect and you must embrace if you're going to be community. And the first is this, that mission will always supersede competition. As Paul is finishing his letter in Romans, the 16th chapter, as he's finishing his letter, and he's already said hi to friends, he's got around him part of his tribe, and they're saying, ooh, 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 let, let me say, let me say hello, let me say hello. 
And so he starts listing those who are saying hello to the people in Rome as they are in Corinth. And so Romans 16 says this, verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you. Now, Timothy was like a son to Paul, and he was his assistant. As do Lucius, and Lucius, according to what Paul says, is like family. There's such a connection there. He's like a relative. Jason, Jason was the guy that took in Paul and his entourage in Thessalonica and became so close to him. He hosted him there. And Sosipater, who was from the place called Berea, well, that's where Paul would go and he would teach about Jesus. And all those folks would go home and say, hey, let's check the scriptures and make sure this guy's right. We're not taking this for granted. We're searching this thing out. My relatives. And I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter. This is the amanuensis. This is the guy who's been writing all this stuff down for Paul. says, with my own writing, I want to tell you, hello, I greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Now, Gaius was the host for everybody there in Corinth. He was one of the first converts in Corinth, and he was one of the very few people that Paul baptized. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, we got Erastus, who's part of the county council. He's, he's one of those officials in the city. And our brother Quartus sends you their greeting. Quartus is just one of those believers that's just connected with Paul. He's part of the tribe. There is not a uniformity there, but there is this grouping of guys and families who are journeying together. So who is the most talented? Who is the most intelligent? Uh, who's the one that, that's the life of the party? Who, who has the most resource? Who's, who's the wealthiest? We don't know that. Paul doesn't list it because it's not important. Because our value cannot be gauged on, on a, a scale. It cannot be gauged on a curve that, that I'm that important. It doesn't happen within community. It doesn't happen within family. Last year, during the summer, Pam and I made our way up to Seattle and spent time with her sister and brother-in-law, Daryl and Patsy. And, and they, have, they have a couple kids, and one of them, a boy, he's eight years old, name is Jesse. We got there and Jesse was really pumped that we were there. And he said, you got to come downstairs, got to come downstairs. And he's just flipping through the house because we're there. And he says, you got to come down and play N Nintendo Wii. Got to play Wii. How many of you have ever played Nintendo Wii? Yeah. He said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to bowl. Okay. So you, you take the thing and, 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 you, and you bowl. You actually bowl. So we're bowling. I'm taking this kid on. I'm going I'm, I'm to do him in. So, so we're bowling. He's pretty good. So there, there's four of us, and we're bowling, and, and we're getting through the game. And, and poor Jesse is so excited about seeing us and, and, and really into the game because he's really competitive that, that he, starts, he starts doing this. And we know the poor kid has to go to the bathroom, but he does not want to leave the TV screen. He's just, he's, he, your turn. And, he's just, and finally he says, I've got to go to the bathroom. We said, well, Go. So he takes his turn, he runs across the room to the door, opens the door, goes in the bathroom, shuts the door. We go around, we bowl, it's his turn, he's still in the bathroom. I said, Jesse, it's your turn, get out of there. I can't. Well, we need you out here, we're going to go without you. Don't go without me. Well, you've got to get out here, I can't come right now. And all of a sudden, we look on the screen, and Jesse's playing. He's in the bathroom, bowling. 
He picks up the ball, he throws it, and gets a strike. We said, you got a strike. Yeah, I know. We go around, he's still in there. He bowls again, he gets a strike. The kid beat me in the bathroom. An eight-year-old kid in the bathroom did better than a 50... What am I? At that point, a 23-year-old sitting in... In front of the screen. Now, what didn't happen is this. I didn't come to Pam and say, we're out of here. Let's go get a hotel. This is ridiculous. They didn't say to me, hey, if you're not that good, you need to leave the house, dude. You don't have to compete when you're family. Because you're already in. We have built within us this need for acceptance. I understand that. I battled that for years. And so because we have that need for acceptance, it affects how we approach community, how we approach tribe. If we get this understanding that that our value has already been accepted by God and he's the one who's invited us into family, that he already says you have value. And just the fact that you're in community means you have value and you can rest with that value. Then you can just you can just come in, kick off your shoes and say, here I am. And this is who I am. And you can rest with that. If you're not sure. There is a tendency to feel like you have to prove your value, prove your worth, or win an invitation to get into family, to get into community, to get into tribe. Now, the danger with that is this, that if you win your way in, there's always a chance somebody better is going to come in and they're going to set the curve and you're going to be on your way back out again. So you're always battling to prove your worth. And if you can't be good enough, then the best thing to do with somebody who's setting the curve is to devalue them so the curve is not so high. So what I will do, if that is the case, is that when I'm talking about you, if you're setting the curve, I will devalue you. I will pull you down. I will criticize you. I will find your weakness. Now, how many of you have a weakness? We know. Because our weaknesses are apparent. People know. And so I can go after your weakness and I can mention it to people and say, well, you know, you know, that that Tom Matt is a great jazz singer. But 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 did you know? Oh, I didn't know. that. Yeah. What happens is if I lower the curve, then it makes me a little better and then I can get in. But if I'm OK with my value then I know it's already set. Then I can just talk about the value of Tom Matter because it doesn't affect me at all. And w- when you want to raise the value of someone, you appreciate it. And so I can appreciate Tom Matter. I can come to Tom Matter or talk to you about Tom Matter and say, I just love the tenderness of Tom Matter. I love the counseling skill of Tom Matter. I love it when Tom Matter sings. I love the way he cares for his family. I love his loyalty to his friends. I love and then it appreciates him. And the good news is this, that when you appreciate the neighborhood, you appreciate yourself. Your value goes up. The disciples understood this, and they had to learn the lesson. Because, you see, they knew what it was to be devalued. Because in their, in, their year, in their years, growing up years, they would take time to learn the Torah. Everybody did. But those that were really good, that qualified, they would go follow a rabbi. 
The rabbi would say, come follow me and take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. If you're not good, you got sent back home and you would learn the family trade. When Jesus found most of those disciples, they were doing the family trade because they weren't good enough to follow a rabbi. And Jesus walks by and says, hey, come follow me. I'll show you. So they understood what it was for someone to discover their value. Now, as that time went on, they discovered not only were they just following a rabbi, they seemed to be following the rabbi, the one whose charisma and power could create a coup that would overtake the Roman Empire. And James and John figured it out. They said, well, if he's going to be the rabbi, then our value will really increase if we can be the CEOs of the whole thing. So, Mama, go talk to him and tell him we want the right and left-hand side. And Mama goes and tells him. And Jesus says, you know, you don't get community, do you? It has nothing with competition. So Jesus says this, Mark 10, verse 43. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom and circle ransom. Give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom literally means a loosing. That he looses you back into your value. You became valueless. And he came in and he paid for you and loosed you into all your value. Now, you see, I can't do both. I cannot loose you in your value and impose mine over you at the same time. I cannot prove I'm better than you and at the same time better serve you. It's impossible. I can't find my value in cannibalizing yours. In fact, what Jesus says, if I, if I put it as my mission to loose you into your value, it will actually expose mine in the process which is an amazing paradox. See, my mission is simply this, not to compete against you, but to serve you so that you find your value. That's how the kingdom works. When Billy Graham was just starting his career, Paramount Pictures came to him and said, we want to make you a movie star. Will you sign with us? And he said, it's not my mission. In the 1950s, NBC Studios offered him, now catch this, in the 50s, $1 million to have a program opposite of the very popular Arthur Godfrey. He said, not my deal. Lyndon Baines Johnson, President of the United States, said, when I finish my presidency, I want you to become president, and I'll put all my political force behind you. Will you do it? He said, not my deal. Nixon said, I'll give you any cabinet position you want. He said, not going to do it. He said, I simply must do what God has called me to do. That's my mission. And that's where I find my value. I think of Samuel Shoemaker, who also would agree with Billy Graham. Samuel Shoemaker was one of the founding principles of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he made this statement. He said, I stand by the door. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. And there's no use by going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find the door 
the door to God. And the most important thing any man can do is take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch. The latch that only clicks and opens to man's own touch. You see, he understood the mission. The mission is for me to help you find your value. And I can't compete and lose you at the same time. I must be settled in the fact that my value is found in the fact that Jesus invited me to be part of community and I have value to him. That frees me up then to serve others, to loose them into their value and to find that value in Jesus. If that is the case, then we must understand that community must be a journey, not a membership. So here's what I want you to do. Never done this before in here. We're going to take about five minutes. We're going to lock the door so you can't leave. You're going to have two and a half minutes a person, and you're going to pair off, and not with family. And so just in a moment, I'm going to have you stand up, and you're going to find somebody else, not with family, because they already know your story. And you're going to share your spiritual journey this way. You're going to talk about the significant moments that shaped your view of God and Jesus. So if I were going to do that, I would tell you this, that I grew up in a pastor's home. I watched people who loved Jesus, and I watched people who, who loved themselves, who called themselves followers of Jesus, and it tainted me. I'll tell you that, that three things happened to me in my college years and in my high school years that made me feel like God didn't want me to have good things. I would tell you that that changed when I met my wife. Because at that moment, God said, I want you to know how great I think you are. I give you this gift, and you don't deserve it. In fact, she tells me that every week. (laughs) I would walk you through those things. You have only two and a half minutes. So after two and a half minutes, I'm going to hit a symbol up here. And when I do that, if you're talking, you have to shut up. And the next person has to start. I want you to tell each other your spiritual journey. Stand up. Go find somebody right now. Did you hear some great stories? Isn't that amazing? You know, Paul the Apostle had all these journeyers around him, and he did not ask them to become uniform. He didn't say, you have to do the journey that I do. We're going to walk this journey together. You're going to have some different views and different experiences, but I'm not going to give you a membership list. I'm not going to give you a membership list of rules you have to follow to do the journey the way that I do the journey. Because this this journey is not about regulations. It's about relationship. That's the process that we take. In fact, the Jerusalem Council had already simplified it. Others had tried to make it very complicated. You can only follow Jesus if you follow these certain rules. The Jerusalem Council got together and said, look, go back and tell everybody, here's the deal. Follow the teachings of Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Don't eat meat offered to idols. Don't eat meat that's still in its blood. And don't have sex outside of marriage. Beyond that, let God guide you and and help each other and and, and let, let the community help walk you through that process. Paul was so confident that we would be able to do that without a long list of rules and regulations. This is what he said to the church at Rome Rome as he's he's wrapping up his letter, Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him who was able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, 
but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him. And he goes on from there. And, and, and here's the issue. He said, do you understand that all the nations, including you, own this thing? Do you own this mystery? This mystery that of who is God and what does he want has been revealed through Jesus by his death and resurrection. And wherever Jesus is proclaimed and embraced and faith put in him and it's lived out, that God comes and establishes you. That word establish is an important word. It means to turn us resolutely in the right direction. That God has this way for those who put their faith in him to get us turned the right way, to get us there. God will establish us. You say, but if that's the case, then why do we need community if God's going to do that? Because he uses community. Let me explain that to you. He said, I want community to come together and I want you to communicate what God has already absolutely said. You need to proclaim to each other and teach each other what God has said should be the lifestyle that you lead as you live a life according to Jesus' teachings. Tell each other that. You have teachers. Let them teach you those things. Let them show you how to apply it and then hold you accountable in the process so that if I show up here some Sunday and say to you, this week I took four more wives, you can first protect me from Pam. And then secondly, you can say, but you can't do that because here's what Jesus said. This is what you've got to do. If you find out that I've been robbing banks, you say to me, you can't do that. There are some very obvious things that we as a body must say you can't do. So the, the community says, hey, here's what Jesus said, and, and here's what he wanted us to know about God. And so you can't do these things because it destroys you, it destroys the world, and it offends God. You can't do that makes sense secondly what the community does is said now there are some principles that we apply to everything we do because god didn't list everything that we can do or can't do so here are the principles so not only can you not murder somebody but we need to talk about how to apply that principle of not hating each other you just take what jesus taught on the sermon on the mount and we as a as a group as tribes talk about how to layer that in our lives and we and we have each other as models here's how you model it out so we say, oh, that's how you do that. When, when Paul said, hey, guys, love your wife as Christ loved the church, we need to have some people model that and say, here's how you do it. You just got married. Let me show you. Where it says, ladies, respect your husband. Well, some ladies got to show those who are new into marriage, this is how you do that. So that's what the community does. You're not supposed to do that on your own. The third thing we do is this, that we give space for matters of conscience. These are the things that generally deal with entertainment, with clothing, with food. What we drink. So if it's if it's can I can I drink alcohol? It's a matter of conscience. What should I wear that's modest? It's a matter of conscience. Now the body can speak to that. Guys, if one of you shows up next Sunday in, in a thong bathing suit, we're probably going to talk to you. Because I don't think that's really edifying to anybody's body, including yours. So let's not do that. That's just not a very pretty picture, is it? So, so we've got to give space for, for people to, to make decisions regarding certain things that are not specifically talked about in the scriptures. 
We give that space because God will help make us stand. It's like Paul the Apostle talking about earlier in this letter, talking about meat that had been offered to idols because he's now changing what the Jerusalem Council said because he's had further revelation. He says this in Romans 14. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. God says, I got this one. And do you think that God is capable of helping someone stand? Better than you? Yeah. In fact, if you go through that passage, here's what he says we should do as tribes and as community. Whatever we do, we should know by faith, by our connection with Jesus, that he approves. Because if we can't say he approves, then he says it's sin. So you've got to know that you've walked it out with Jesus. Some people say, well, can, can I be a Christian and can I drink? What did Jesus tell you? Can I be a Christian? Can I smoke? What did Jesus tell you? Now, if it's smoking weed, no, you can't because it's against the law. And he says you can't break the law. So what did Jesus tell you? So you've got to know that it's okay with Jesus. Secondly, if you have a liberty to do something that you know could bother other people, then don't flaunt it in front of them. And if you can do it, it's not hypocrisy. You can do that, but don't do that in front of them. They don't brag and say, hey, you know, I don't know what your problem is. I can do this. Why can't you do this? Thirdly, if God says you can't do something and they're doing it, you can't judge them. And our problem in the church today is we spend more time on this third piece of matters of conscience trying to tell people what to do instead of spending our time on the first two, which is, here's what God said. Come, let's go do that together and model it. We form opinions on things that are not ours to form opinions regarding. And we spend so much time and energy on opinions and talking about opinions that we devalue people because it doesn't match our bias. So I came back last summer after sabbatical with some hair right here. And some people said, what's that? That's hair. Your razor break? <laughs> no. I grew it that way and somebody told me that I'm young and this is my midlife crisis. That thing right there. So if you come up to me and say to me, I don't like that. I'm going to tell you, I don't care. Because it's not your opinion. Now, it's okay. I don't need applause. I'm secure in this. The deal is this. Quit forming opinions on things that are not yours to form opinions on. And quit talking about each other on things that are not issues we should even be talking about. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you do. If we do that. In fact, here's the deal. If we are walking together in tribes, we'll get to know each other close enough that there are times that I have freedom to do something and that person doesn't, and I'll stop doing it because I'm going to help them and live with them and be with them. And that's a good thing because God calls that love because he said the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's love. So I'll stop doing something if it helps this person. You said, well, would you shave? Well, not for a cranky person. But, if, but if, if I'm like Paul the Apostle, if it's something that has to do with someone coming, coming to where they need to know Jesus and, and, and it will help bring peace, then I'd shave my head like he did. He said, you've started. Yes, I have. I'm working on it. Because if we, if we have that walk of journey together, what will happen is this, that joy 
must identify our journey. That's the thing about about tribes and community in Jesus. Because there is this atmosphere that happens when we're centered in Jesus. Paul ends his entire letter with these words. Romans 16, 27. To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. He said there is this atmosphere that comes by us meeting together. He called it glory. And glory in its very essence, the very beginning words of glory, are these words. To be there and pleasure. It is the essence of God that arrives and we know he's here. And deep down inside, there is a pleasure. So much deeper than the pleasure you get when the Penguins win the Stanley Cup. Deeper than a pleasure when you graduate. Deeper than a pleasure when, when you find out that, that she loves you, buddy. It's, it's deeper than that. It's even deeper than the ecstasy you feel in sexual intimacy because that's only a taste of the pleasure that God has for us that lasts forever. And you get that essence when the body meets together. He said there should be that sweetness. So throughout these weeks, as we've talked about how we should be with each other and how we should treat each other, we have dealt with the intellectual part and the emotional part and the relational part. All of that is there. But I want to warn you that other religions and other focuses have those. They have the relational part. You can watch the commercials on TV and see other religions. They say, family, family, and they have a wonderful connection relationally. So we're not the only ones. And you can see emotion. You want emotion. Just, just go watch a voodoo ceremony. You'll get emotion. You want intellectual? There are people who don't believe in God that can argue circles around you. What is the difference? The difference is that when we gather together, he is there. All that stuff is important. That's why we're tribes, we're a community. But he is there. And we recognize it. There's this old Hasidic tale that a small village got together and invited a rabbi to come to teach them the Torah. When he arrived, they were in a large room, a hall, and seated waiting for him. And he comes in. And he doesn't do what you expect him to do. He does not say, okay, do you have questions? Instead, he starts walking down the room, looking each individual in the eye. And there is just a warmth. There's a presence coming out of him as he looks them in the eye. And then he starts to hum a spiritual song. And as he does it, he keeps looking them in the eye. He keeps humming it, and as he hums it, the presence that is with him begins to pull out of them what is inside, and they begin to hum it with him. Do you know it? They keep humming, and as they hum, do you, how many of you know that, that little ditty? I'm just, hum it. 
And as they keep going, a little louder, please. As they're humming it, keep going. He starts to dance. Looking them in the eye. As he starts to dance, they start to dance. And they keep dancing. And it goes and it goes and it goes. And as they do, the actions become more frenzied, become more wild until the whole place is dancing. And he says, suddenly it's like they're all dancing as one. And then it stops. And as if they had met creator himself. He walks by and looks each one in the eye. And he says, I trust I have answered all your questions. See, that's what happens when a band of friends in unity dance with God. Will you stand? I normally at this point... Bless you. But today, I'm going to ask you to join hands with each other. Would you do that? Even across the aisles. And we as a community of tribes in unity... We, and you're going to agree with me as I read this, we are going to bless God. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.